0: But the problem with this line of thinking is again that it's actually demotivating. Because results lie outside of your direct control. Things don't always play out the way you'd hope they would. Your subconscious is always looking for reasons to quit. So you need to load up the other side with reasons to continue on. And celebrating wins becomes the motivation that allows you to continue to push when the going gets tough. Welcome to the Happy, Healthy Human Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Levitin. What do the happiest, healthiest humans all have in common? They are students of success. In my mission to help both you and I become the happiest, healthiest humans we can be, I have studied success at all levels. And after spending over a decade working in the field of human development and flourishing, I can tell you with certainty success. Leaves clues. On this show, I investigate and explore the common clues and foundational principles that tie together success in all areas of life. Whether it's happiness, health, wealth, relationships, it's all a part of the human experience. By following these success clues and understanding the underlying success principles, you will find that success is not simply a possibility, it's guaranteed. Every Tuesday, I give you simple, straightforward action steps and tools using these clues and principles of success to help you become the happiest, healthiest human you can be. Welcome back to part two of this series in learning from studies around children and what we can take towards living our happier, healthier lives. If you can recall the success clue from last week, it was celebrating marshmallows. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, I'd go back and then come to today. In that episode, I discussed that sometimes the people we can learn most from are not our elders or our mentors, but kids. And that's not just my opinion. Scientists have studied children to learn more about human behavior for a long time. For instance, the marshmallow experiment which we did a deep dive into on the previous episode, studied children and strategies that they used to delay gratification in their quest for more sweet treats. And the next study that I want to discuss today comes from Carol Dweck. And Carol Dweck literally wrote the book on mindset, which is called, you might have guessed it, Mindset. And this was a revolutionary book when it came out and still holds up very well And I recommend it a lot. If you haven't checked it out, definitely, definitely recommend getting it. And that book and much of Carol Dweck's work center around what has become now commonly known as growth and fixed mindsets. If you ever heard the concept of growth and fixed mindsets, which I've done episodes on in the past, I'll link to them in the show notes if you want to check it out. But if you've ever heard those concepts, that comes from Carol Dweck and this research. And just to recap on growth and fixed mindset, a short version is that a fixed mindset is someone who basically believes that they are set or fixed in the way they are, in the way things are. So things like personality, fortunes, intelligence, whatever else are fixed and don't change. This is someone who thinks that's just the way things are. I'm just bad at soccer. I've never been a piano player, so they don't practice. Or they think no one poor ever becomes rich, so they don't even strive for more. This type of person has an inherited belief that things and people tend to be just one way. And because of this, they tend to see failure and setbacks as final. They feel that they are set with their level of ability. So if they failed once, they will continue to fail. And that's just how it will always be. And that type of person will surely find it challenging to continue to face off with life's numerous obstacles. Since why would you if you're not good at anything or if you're a failure or if you're stuck with the way things are and that's just how things are always going to be? What would motivate you to keep trying? But a growth minded person, on the other hand, sees personality, intelligence, whatever else, as growable. Instead of it being a fixed trait, it's more of a skill that can be grown and honed over time. So someone who's growth minded doesn't see themselves as stuck, but more in the middle of a journey that is still unfolding. So because of that, when a growth minded person fails or suffers a setback, they don't see it as final, or something that they can't persevere through. Instead, they see it as a challenge, a reason to grow, something that they can learn from, something that, while it might be stopping them right now, it won't stop them forever. So you can probably already see why this is kind of a big deal. Dweck's theory and research in this field literally revolutionized the field of psychology. And one of the studies referenced in the book, again, Mindset, And this is a study that a lot of this theory around growth and fixed mindset stems from has to do with how children react to different forms of praise. And now this isn't just about praise versus punishment. This isn't about yelling at kids or that some kids need to be coddled. I mean, we know that kids who are treated poorly, who aren't loved or withheld praise will suffer. And that's why giving praise to children is a normal act. But what Dweck and her researchers set out to find was if children would be affected by small changes in the choices and ways that parents, teachers, and other adults decided to give them praise. Meaning if the word choices and the type of praise mattered. So basically the question was, is all praise the same? And the thing that they studied, the main difference was between ability praise and effort praise. So ability praise would be along the lines of saying, Wow, Timmy, you aced that test. You're so smart. Or that's great, Susie. You played that piano recital flawlessly. You are so talented. And these sound like nice things to say. These sound like something you might have said to your kids or say to your nieces or nephews or you might have been told in your life. You might think, what's wrong with that? You did great. You're smart. You're talented. But this type of praise is actually what researchers found that we should not be using. Because ability type praise centers on the way that kids are. You are so smart you are so talented, you're a genius, you're a natural, you're this, you're that. Again, they're positive things, right? You're saying that they're smart. You're saying that they're talented. But going back to the initial theory of fixed versus growth mindset, the way things are fall into the category of fixed. So giving children praise on their ability, praising them on the way that they are, makes them feel that they are fixed in this way. That's how they were born, and that's how they will always be, which is great when things are going well. It's all fine and dandy when little Timmy is acing his tests and Susie is getting the first place ribbon in the piano competition. But what happens when things don't go so smoothly? Because we know that even as children, things get hard. Kids are in competitions. They lose. They take tests and they fail. And kids grow up to be adults, and life is hard. So if a child is praised, for example, for being very smart and then they fail their test, they think subconsciously, well, I'm smart and I failed. That's just it. If they've been praised their entire life about how gifted and talented they are and then they don't win the competition, they don't get into the college that they were applying for then again, their subconscious belief is just that, well, I'm talented, my talent didn't do it, and that's all that I have to offer. But again, this isn't just my theory. They set up an experiment to find out and see how different types of praise would work. And what they did was set up an experimental condition where kids would win at first. So they would give them an easy puzzle that they would succeed at. And then they would be praised. In this condition, they praised them for their ability. So they would do the puzzle. They would win. They would say, wow, great job. You're so smart, or something along those lines. But that is when the actual experiment started. Because after they gave them the easy puzzle, which they were set up to win, they would then give them a challenge that they couldn't beat. They would give them a puzzle that was too complex for them to solve. And then the researchers waited. And what they were doing was observing how long those kids tried at that puzzle before giving up. And that's where it gets interesting. But in order to see how interesting it is, you kind of have to understand the context. So let's look at the other side of the experiment, because I mentioned before that there's two types of praise, ability and effort. So ability is how kids are. That is more linked to a fixed mindset. Effort then is praise about how hard they try. So when little Timmy gets an A on his spelling test, it's not, wow, Timmy, you're so smart. It's more like, wow, Timmy, you really studied hard. I'm so proud to see how hard you worked to get that grade. For Susie, it's not, you're so talented or you're so good at piano. It's more like, wow, what an effort you put in you worked really hard to memorize that piece, and all of your hard work really paid off. It's a very subtle difference, but it's pretty obvious once it's pointed out. Because this type of praise around effort is not about a state of being. It's not about how they were born. It's not about some inherent trait that is just how they are. Effort, work, dedication, these are things that they actually control. How hard they studied, how long they practice for. And this aligns perfectly with growth mindset because effort is a skill and a skill can be honed and grown. If they're praised around how hard they worked, how hard they tried, they can try harder. So when they do fail, which will happen, they know that that's not something that they are stuck at because they can say, oh, I can work harder. I can do better. I can try more. I can be more dedicated. I can give it more time. And they can look at their failure as something that they can then learn from and say, well, if this level of effort got me this level of success, maybe I need to give more effort. So now going back to the experiment, researchers took the kids through the same experiment, right? They gave them the easy puzzle, then gave them some praise. You're so smart, right? Ability praise. But some of the kids also got effort praise, which was along the lines of, You tried so hard. You worked so hard at that. Then the next part of the experiment was they gave the kids an impossible puzzle. So half of the kids got ability praise. Half of the kids got effort praise. They all succeeded in the first puzzle. Then they were given a puzzle that was too hard. And what they wanted to see was how long would they continue to work on this puzzle. And now you might have guessed it, but the ability praise group gave up much quicker. And the effort praise group kept trying for much longer to complete the challenging puzzle. Meaning the ability group gave up because they had been primed to believe that they were stuck. If my value is based on some inherent ability, if I think I'm smart, but then I can't figure out the answer to the puzzle, I think, well, that's it. Maybe my smarts aren't enough and that's that. But the effort group had been primed via the praise to believe that their worth was more linked to their effort, meaning they were encouraged to try harder, to keep going for longer, because they believed that they could learn and get better. And it was their effort that they were being praised for, not just if they were smart or not, not just if they were successful or not. So the ability praise led to giving up faster on subsequent challenges than the effort praise. And that alone tells us a lot. But the experiment and the researchers went one step further. Because what they did was after the puzzle that the kids couldn't finish, when they gave up, eventually they all gave up, right? It was an impossible puzzle. But they went back and they asked the kids if they would be more likely to enjoy a puzzle like the first one that was easy and where they succeeded quickly, or if they would be open to trying another hard puzzle like the second one. And what do you think happened? The ability praise group overwhelmingly chose to take the easy route, They wanted the puzzle where they would succeed easily. And the group that was praised for effort was much more likely to be open to pushing and challenging themselves and taking the harder puzzle, even though they had just failed on one before. So now, if you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time, or even if you haven't, you can probably start to see how important this is. Because it's no surprise to say that challenge is necessary in life. Everything we want to achieve comes through challenge. Every goal you set is literally you saying, this is a challenge worth going up against. When it comes to building happiness, health, success, all of the other things we want in life, they all come directly through, not by avoiding challenge. So what does this have to do with you? Well, I mean, I'm not a parent. I'm not a teacher. I mean, I have a nephew, but I'm not in the business of praising kids on the daily. So why does this matter to me? Why does it matter to you? And this isn't just about how you were raised, right? You could do some digging and introspection about how your parents praised you or how the praise you got from coaches or teachers growing up might have affected you. And that might have some insight into why you are the way that you are now. Sure. But more importantly to me, in my opinion, this matters because we can use these understandings to influence your life right now because you might not be a child anymore but it would be silly to think that this stuff doesn't affect you. All of the stuff that I'm talking about priming, cueing, these are triggers that happen in the subconscious. So while you might understand that as an adult you are not stuck being one way, the messaging you send your subconscious still matters. As an adult you might not get praised nearly as often which as an aside, is a shame since it's something we all crave as humans. Personally, I try to make a habit of giving other praise whenever possible. It feels good. They love it. I love it. We all win. I mean, try walking down the street and when you see someone who's wearing a cool sweater or nice sunglasses, just shout out to them. Hey, I like your sunglasses. You'll see someone's face light up. Whatever. That doesn't matter. The good news is you don't actually have to get praise from others, you can praise yourself. And that's the real point here. I've done entire episodes in the past about self-talk. I talk about it a lot with guests. Maybe I'll do another episode about it soon, so stay tuned for that because I haven't talked about it deeply in a while. But your self-talk is how you talk to yourself. It's the internal monologue that goes on inside of your head, as well as the literal words that you use out loud when talking about yourself. And your self-talk shapes your subconscious, and your subconscious shapes your self-talk. It's kind of like a chicken and the egg scenario. So while it might be hard to say which came first, we do know that we can affect both of them by starting to change some actions, like praising yourself and how you're doing it. So something that is incredibly important for anyone trying to get better in any regard is celebrating wins, because change is hard. We don't like it. So what you have to do is give yourself ammunition as to why you should keep going. Your subconscious is always looking for reasons to quit, so you need to load up the other side with reasons to continue on. And celebrating wins becomes the motivation that allows you to continue to push when the going gets tough. And what is celebrating a win if not praising yourself? And if it is praise, and we can agree on that, then as Dweck and her compatriots discovered, there's probably a better and worse way to do it. So just like children who were praised for their inherent ability were actually demotivated to do harder challenges because they linked their success or their failure to their internal quote unquote, God given ability. They felt that what they could do was what they could do. And that was it. And there was no space for growth. And that's the similar message that you're sending your subconscious mind when you celebrate victories based on achievement. So for example, when you set a weight loss goal and the scale goes down and you get excited about how good you're doing, but if it goes up, now you feel like you're doing badly, or if you hang your self-worth on a title at work and you strive for that year end bonus and the potential promotion, if it comes, you did well, and if not, then well, not, and it seems like this is the right thing to do. I mean, you have goals, so the goal should be the barometer by which you measure things, right? But if weight loss is the goal, and then losing weight is good and not losing weight is bad. That's how it feels, right? If being rich is the goal, then being financially successful is success and seeing your bank account go down is failure. But the problem with this line of thinking is, again, that it's actually demotivating because results lie outside of your direct control. Things don't always play out the way you'd hope they would. And how many times have you started a diet and lost three pounds the first week, four pounds the second week, and then you're flying high and then all of a sudden, no weight loss or you gain a pound and screw it, I'm ordering pizza. Maybe you worked super hard on a project at work and you were very excited about it and when it came time for the bosses to give out praise and rewards, they went to the guy or the girl in the cubicle next to you and you were all but ignored or passed over. Hinging your praise on external sources and results is the same as the kids who were praised by their parents for their inherent ability. It's great when everything is going well, but the moment life starts to get turbulent, which it always does, you've set yourself up for failure. Instead, your focus needs to be on your effort. Even if your boss doesn't praise your effort or the scale doesn't reflect it, you need to be hyping yourself up. You need to be constantly reminding yourself i tried my best and that is a win because when you praise yourself for trying when you praise yourself for working hard for putting in effort the messaging that goes into your subconscious mind is oh effort is good it doesn't matter that i struggle what matters is that i try even when things get hard let's do that more and the type of person who succeeds in all areas of life is the type of person who pushes harder into adversity, the person who fails on the hard puzzle. And then when asked, do you want the next puzzle, puzzle to be hard like this one or easy like the first one you did, they respond, I want it to be harder because I want it to give it my best shot. And if I do that, I can improve. And if I do what I can already do, there will be no growth. So for example. Imagine for a moment you're taken into an experiment room. There are two marshmallows, and a scientist says, you can have one marshmallow now. If you wait five minutes, you can have two. I'll be back shortly. And then they walk out. Now you try, but you can't resist. Two minutes in, you scarf down that marshmallow. And then you think, oh my God, all is lost. I'm horrible. I failed. All the negative thoughts come flooding in. But is that true? If you've been trained to praise ability, If you've trained your subconscious to praise outcomes, then it will feel like a loss because you failed. The goal was not to eat the marshmallow and you did exactly that. And when you're faced with the exact same task again, why even try? You know what the outcome is going to be. But if you trained your brain to focus on effort, if you were praised on how hard you tried in that world, you might still have eaten the marshmallow, theoretically failed, but in doing some reflection, you might think, okay, well, I lasted two minutes. That's halfway there. I tried hard. That counts for something. But I could have tried a little bit harder and, and probably got to three or four minutes. And next time, if I do more of what worked and less of what didn't, I think I can win this challenge. Then you might continue. You know, I tried hard. I was facing the marshmallow head on. But it was easier when I was humming and I had my eyes closed or when I turned my back to it and I wasn't staring. At it. Maybe I could try that again. So all of a sudden, you have a strategy moving forward. And the prospect of facing the same challenge again isn't so disheartening, it's actually encouraging because you know that you can learn from your mistakes and do better. So what can we learn from children, going back to the whole point of this two-part series? A lot. Because these studies tell us about how we can raise children, but they also tell us about how we can raise ourselves, how you can lift yourself up. So working backwards, starting from today, we see that the first step is to celebrate yourself, praise yourself, but make sure that it's for your effort and hard work. Give yourself a pat on the back when you try something hard and when you do something you committed to. Finished a workout, celebrate that you put in the effort stuck to your diet, don't worry about the number on the scale, get excited about the fact that you did what you said you would do. Even though you were traveling, or you had family over, or you had a wedding, or you were stressed, or a thousand other excuses you could have possibly used to quit. If you read a book, you got more conscious about your spending, you meditated, you went for a walk, it doesn't matter. Whatever it is, praise the effort and celebrate the win. That's how you train your subconscious mind to start to look for those challenging spots in life, how you start to be the person who leans into challenge and hard work rather than the person who tries to avoid it. Sometimes, though, just wanting something is not enough because those kids from last week's episode really wanted the second marshmallow, but in the end, cravings overtook them. So going back to that episode on the marshmallow experiment studies, We can see that cultivating your mindset with praise is a powerful tool, but it's also important to cultivate your environment to set yourself up for success. Just like the kids who abstain from indulging, you need actions and distractions that can help you when you're on the verge of breaking your commitments. Curating your environment is a preemptive action that you can take. It's the first step I take with clients. It's the low-hanging fruit. If it's something you haven't taken the time to do yet, do it curating your environment simply means set yourself up for success. So if you're dieting and trying to avoid sugary sweets, then don't have those tempting things in your house at arm's reach. One of my clients has a high stress job. He's a professor at a university. He's also studying for another PhD. And he thought that he couldn't curate his environment to avoid snacks because there's always vending machines right next to his office. So we chatted about it and we came up with the idea of leaving his wallet in his car. So no cash, no cards means no vending machine snacks. And what do you know it, that his consumption of sugary candy, the thing that he was trying to avoid, cut in half overnight. That's not magic. It's not foolproof. But he went out of his way to curate his environment, and that helped. And then there's that old cliche advice of having your gym clothes in the car or at the foot of your bed if you're trying to create an exercise habit. It works, and that's curating your environment personally, as I continue to write my book, getting uninterrupted writing time is something I struggle with. Of course, no one's interrupting me but me, but it's hard in 2024. So what do I do? I curate my environment. I leave my phone in the other room. My computer goes on focus mode. And even when doing that, sometimes I still get distracted. I might get an idea for something else, I might have an idea for something I want to tell a client or a social media post or for this podcast and then while I'm writing I'll open up a new tab and all of a sudden it's been 30 minutes and I'm not writing my book anymore. So now how can I curate my environment to better suit that problem? What I did was I got a notebook and I keep my notebook next to my laptop when I write. So when I write, the only thing that I can keep open is the screen that I'm writing on. And if Anything pops into my mind, another topic, something I remember I have to do later, something I want to ask my girlfriend, I have to call my mom, a social media post, I handwrite that in my notebook, and that I will check back on and come to after my writing block time is done. And it seems like a lot of extra steps, adding a notebook, taking away the phone, internet, whatever. This is the equivalent of those kids humming and turning away from the first marshmallow to last long enough to get the reward. Whatever works, works. But what doesn't work is relying on sheer willpower, just saying, I'm going to do better, I'm going to do better, I'm going to do better, and staring the problem in the face. So it loops back around. When I do my dedicated writing block, when I stick to my time commitment, when i use the notebook instead of opening up a new tab and browsing or opening social media now i give myself praise i celebrate it but i praise my effort great effort i stuck to my word not because i finished the task not because i was successful simply because i did the thing that i said i would do especially when i had plenty of excuses and rationalizations in my brain waiting for why I couldn't. So my action step for you this week is twofold. With the marshmallow experiment in mind, think about a time you tend not to succeed in delaying gratification, a recurring theme when your immediate wants went out over your long-term best interest. For instance, you might want to wake up early and work out, but you're always hitting the snooze. And then if you do wake up, you end up scrolling social media for an hour rather than hitting the gym or the Peloton. So reverse engineer that. Think about guardrails you can put up that will keep you on the path. Guardrails that will make what you want to do easier and make what you don't want to do harder. So in this example, that might mean plugging your phone in on the other side of the room at night so when your alarm goes off in the morning, you have to actually get out of bed and turning off which lowers the chance of you snoozing and going right back to bed. Or maybe you keep your phone in a whole different room while you sleep and you get a regular alarm clock and you put that on the other side of the room. So when you get out of bed in the morning to turn off the alarm, now you can't go right to scrolling. And then maybe you have your yoga mat and some dumbbells already laid out in the corner of your room. So when you're forced to get out of your bed to turn off your alarm and there's no phone there because it's charging in another room, your yoga mat is right there And you hit a 10-minute yoga flow. Beautiful. And all of that came not by relying on willpower, but instead by curating your environment to give yourself the best chance of success. That's part one. Part two of this action step is to start to celebrate and praise your effort. It is not about the result. Remember, you cannot control results. It's about training yourself to get excited about doing what you set out to do, about doing what's best for you, in the long run, regardless of the short-term immediate payout. If you do those two things around any goal, I guarantee your life will change. And if you're really on it, email me at paul at paulleviton.com or DM me on Instagram or TikTok at Leviton with the habits you're working on, and I'll support you and also give you a shout out on a coming episode. That's it for today thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode or got value from it, you can support the show by sharing it with a friend and giving them the gift of a happier, healthier life. You can also leave a rating and review on Spotify or Apple podcasts. That helps boost the show on those platforms so more people can discover it and we can all grow together. I'll see you back here every Tuesday and Thursday morning. And until then, stay happy, stay healthy.